The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning, Park Church. We are going to be reading in Ephesians chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pew backs in front of you, it's page 976. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love for you to take one of these as a gift from us. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Happy football season. Um, <laughs> it's a really long sermon today, so we might make kickoff. I'm just joking. Um, I have a couple of announcements, and then we will turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and talk about vocation. Um, first, uh, starting tomorrow night, we've got two classes kicking off um, here at the building. Um, one is designed particularly for, for those who are new to Park Church, like to find out more about who we are. Um, when we talk about being a gospel-centered church and, and pursuing gospel-centered lives, what do we mean by that? Um, that class will start tomorrow night. It's called The Gospel-Centered Life. Um, it be- begins at 6.30 p.m. Childcare is provided. Um, if you're new here and you're trying to find ways to get connected about to, to this community and who we are and our mission. Um, this is a great first step. Um, we designed this class specifically um, to kind of introduce you to, to this idea that, that we believe um, really should shape all of our life together as a church, which is that the gospel is not simply the beginning of Christianity, but it's the whole thing. Um, that that the, the announcement about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection should shape and influence um, every aspect of our lives. And so tomorrow night, um, that class will kick off uh, at 6.30 p.m. You can sign up for that class over at the info table or online. And we also have another class called How We Change starting tomorrow night in which we, th- we, we try to think together about how do we, how do we journey together in, in this process whereby God takes this gospel, takes this announcement about what Christ has accomplished, um, th- this declaration of his love for us, his forgiveness for us, and how that actually brings about transformation in our lives, kind of walking us through this process of repentance and faith that, that we think is the Christian life. And so we want to talk together about how do we, how do, we do that for one another? How do we walk together um, in that process? And so that class will kick off. I mean, it's called How We Change. Um, we, we, we're asking, inviting all of our gospel community leaders to be a part of that. Um, we, we would ask, we, 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 we want to open that class up to anybody. Um, it, it's a fantastic um, opportunity for us to think 
hard uh, about how does change actually take root in our lives. Again, you can sign up for that class online or at the info table. Next thing I want to mention to you, Friday, October 2nd at 6.30 p.m., um, we are hosting um, a Mission Connect. Uh, we believe that, that what God has called us to be in this city is um, a community of people who bear witness to what Jesus has done, uh, both by announcing um, the work of Jesus in the gospel and also just being a people who are laying down our lives for the good of the city. We partner with a number of different minister organizations here in our city, and so we want to come together that night um, and, and learn from these minister organizations what they do, how, how we can partner with them as a community, um, how specific gospel communities or families um, you can find a particular ministry that, that, um, that, that you can serve, that you can wield your gifts um, to, to meet needs and to pursue the good of our city. And so that event will be happening Friday night, October 2nd at 6.30 p.m., um, I, I would encourage you, particularly if you're in a gospel community, to talk about it as a community. Come to that event as a community. Um, and then maybe even pick one or two of those ministry partners that you can begin to work with as a gospel community. Last thing, if you are a college student and you came to the 11 a.m. service this morning um, because you, you want to see the very end of the Broncos game, um, we are hosting a college event um, tonight after the 5 p.m. service. So about 6.30 p.m., uh, we're going to have food, we're going to have drinks, and we're going to talk about how does the local church um, and, and the next few years of your life as a college student, how do they fit together? What, what does it mean to, to pursue Jesus, to love Jesus, um, to, to be in college, and what do you do with this strange thing called the church? And so that will be tonight um, at 6.30 p.m. We would love to have you, um, and we will have food. Um, let's pray. And turn to Ephesians 2. God, it is a marvel to consider what you're like. About how you've revealed yourself, the kind of work that you have done and are doing in the world. That you're not simply revealing yourself in theological books. You're not just making yourself known um, through ideas. You're not just doing um, work by, by perpetuating ideas everywhere. But by God, you're, you're creating, you've created things like mountains and trees and oceans. I mean, you cause crops to grow and, and food to be provided. You, you, you make things like, like, like color. You, you cause over and over and over again, you command over and over again that the sun to, to rise and to set, the stars to come and appear precisely where they're supposed to be. In other words, you're a God who, who does things with his hands, who creates things that we can see, that we can smell, that we can touch. So Father, I pray that you would help us now to consider what it means to be an image bearer of a God like that. What does it mean to reveal you, to know you, to reveal you, to know you, to love you, and to use our lives for, for your glory and your renown in the world? In your name we pray, amen. We are kicking off a three-week series on the topic of vocation. Um, and, and we're trying to answer the question, what, what does our, our belief about Jesus and our, um, our, our belief about what he's accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, and, and the work that we're called to do, 
um, the, the work that we're called to do day in and day out, not, not simply our jobs, not simply um, where we're paid, uh, not simply what we do to earn a living, but, but the actual work that we do day in and day out, whether that's um, at home, in our relationships, with our children, if you're a college student in, um, in your classroom, um, how does this work um, connect to, relate to, um, give um, it is given shape by our understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. How do these two things come together? Um, I, I remember my, my very first job, uh, not counting um, mowing my neighbor's lawn when I was 10, which was slavish labor. Um, uh, but, but when I was um, 15, 16 years old, um, as a freshman in high school, uh, the, the senior football player, like the guy who everybody knew who he was. He was going off to college um, to play football. Um, he'd spoken to me a total of three times um, in, in the course of my um, high school life, which had only been a few months at that point. But I remembered all three. I wrote them down. I had them memorized. I remembered his facial expressions. And um, he, he came up to me one, one afternoon in the locker room and he said, Brian, and again, I took note because this was number four. Um, he, and, he, and he said to me, Brian, um, I, I need you to be here tomorrow right after your last class at 3.30 and tell your parents um, that you're not going to be home um, until 6 or 6.30 tomorrow night. And I need you to wear something that you can get bloody. Now, I... I was both enthralled and terrified, right? So, so enthralled, he was going to spend time with me. Terrified, I needed to wear something bloody. Enthralled, this was an amazing football player. Terrified, this was an amazing football player, and he wanted me to be bloody. And so um, I, I showed up the next day in, in, a, in some clothes that I could get bloody. Um, we hopped into his truck. We, we drove a few blocks down the road um, to a butcher shop that was just a couple of blocks uh, away. Um, we got out of his truck, and then he uh, handed me a pair of gloves. He handed me an apron. Um, we went to the back of a, a, of a semi-truck. He opened it, and it was filled front to back with quarters of beef, sides of beef just hanging on hooks, all the way the length of the truck. I don't know if you've seen a side of beef, but it's just a large side of beef. So imagine a cow. Don't imagine it. it, it it'll be a distraction to you. Just beef, raw beef, gigantic raw beef. And so um, he, he said, what we're going to do now is we're going to take the sides of beef off the hooks that they're currently on. We're going to carry them down this ramp. Now, I need to do a little work on the ramp. The, the ramp was shaky. That the ramp was wood. The ramp had had cow fat and blood. Sorry, I couldn't, I can't explain the situation without explaining that. Dripping on it for probably 20 years. So it was, it wasn't the safest work environment. It was, it, it was enough to make a man who loves steak and hamburgers consider, not really, that's a lie, being a vegetarian. Um, <laughs> And so, and, and so for the next two and a half hours, we would take sides of beef um, off the hook. We'd throw them over our backs. I would tr tr struggle with them on their back. We would walk down the ramp. We would go into a giant, really cold room. Um, and there were rows and rows of hooks just kind of loosely hanging. And then the next big challenge to my first job occurred. You had to learn the skill of taking um, a... a, a 
piece of beef this size, throwing it onto a hook in such a way that the hook was both situated perfectly to, to support the weight of the beef. Otherwise, it would tear and fall on the ground, which who wants a piece of beef that's been on the ground? Um, or two, uh, if you didn't throw it at the right angle, it would hit a rib, it would hit a bone, and it would bounce off and again fall on the ground. Um, this is a wonderful thing to do with your friends who are looking to make some money and you invite them to come for the very first time on this job. Just sit there and watch them try to get this 100-pound piece of meat onto a hook um, that, that simply won't, just keeps moving. Um, it, it's a skill you have to learn. It's a skill that um, Aaron mocked me for and, uh, and kept mocking me for that first day. Um, this was my job for, for the next two and a half years. <laughs> Three and a half years. Um, about once a week, I would I would go over to the butcher shop, um, and I would try to bring a friend. They would last just a couple of times, um, and, and we would take sides of beef, carry them down the ramp. When it would rain, it was like exciting, like you could ski down blood and fat. <laughs> Down, anyway, um, and, and then you would hang the hook up, and, and that was my job. There were a number of benefits. It, it paid decently for, for a high school kid. Um, I was actually making pretty good money to go and work once a week for, for, for two and a half hours. Um, it, it had this, this wonderful benefit of, well, I don't know if you've ever, ever gotten blood and fat in your hair. Like a lot of it. Like you can wash for days. And it will still come, come out feeling silky, deliciously smooth. Now, that benefit wouldn't be as great to me today. Um, but, but, but at that time, it was nice. Like, you'd get out, you'd wash your hair for about half an hour, um, and, and, and then it's, it's just nice. Um, uh, the, the, the best benefit of this job, um, though, was about twice a month, the owner of the butcher shop, um, as they were closing up, as I was finishing bringing the meat in, um, he would throw some steaks on the grill, um, which if you think about it, it I never thought about it at the time. It's kind of gross. Um, but but because I just carried it in, um, they, they'd throw some steaks on the grill. Um, we would eat the steaks, have a wonderful meal at the butcher shop, and, and then I would go home. Now, interestingly, oftentimes what I would do is go home, shower, change clothes, then take clothes off, shower again, um, and, and then put the clothes back on, and, and then go to our youth group's Bible study. Um, our, our, uh, our, our youth pastor um, and about 12 guys would get together on those nights to talk about what did it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And what did it mean that, that Jesus had died on the cross for our sins? But what did it mean to pursue holiness? What did it mean to pursue, uh, to, to pursue righteousness? What did it mean to, to worship God? And, and one of the things that's, that, that never dawned on me, that, that never crossed my mind, is that those two events had anything to do with one another. That, that what we talked about, the, the, the time we spent um, during that meeting praying for one another, um, the, the time during that meeting we spent thinking about the scriptures and thinking about what the Bible says, uh, the time that we spent during that time um, talking about what it meant to, be a, uh, to bear witness to who God was in the world, it, it never crossed my mind that had, that had anything to do with carrying sides of beef off a truck, down a ramp, and throwing it out a hook. You see, um, one of the concerns that, that has been raised, particularly in recent years, is a concern that Dorothy Sayers raised years ago. Um, in, in one of her essays called Why Work, 
she asked this question. How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? For for many of us, um, these two questions never interact. Um, Maybe you go to a job that is mundane. You have no idea why you're in it other than the fact that you've got to earn a paycheck so that you can afford rent, so that you can go skiing, so that you can do something else. Your your job is simply the thing that you try to do day in and day out um, to, to earn a living. But it's never crossed your mind to think that that has much, if anything, to do with God and what he's done for you in Jesus. Or maybe you go to a job that you love, a job that challenges you intellectually, that challenges you, um, uh, challenges you physically, that, that it's something you've worked your whole life um, to, to finally get into this kind of position, to be, to be doing this kind of work day in and day out. But man, it's never crossed your mind to think that what you're doing right now this morning really has much or anything to do with what you're going to spend most of your time doing this week? Or what if you stay at home with kids and and a large portion of your day is spent picking up Cheerios or doing laundry or just doing what you can to keep the kids um, occupied until it's time to put them down for a nap or put them down at the end of the day? Did you ever think that the gospel gives definition to not just the times when you're teaching your children about Jesus, but when you're picking those Cheerios up, up, Cheerios up off the ground as well. I, I want us to, to spend the next three weeks asking that question. T- today, um, we're simply going to ask the question, well, what, what is my discipleship for? What is my Christianity for? If I've been redeemed by God, we, we love to celebrate. We just got done celebrating this glorious reality that God has rescued us from our sins. Um, he's redeemed us in Jesus, that all who trust in Christ won't know ever the wrath of God, but will know forever and ever and ever his redemption, his rescue, that we've been adopted as sons and daughters. But to what end? What is this redemption? What is this discipleship for? And does it have anything to do with what we're going to do day in and day out in this life? How do the two connect? So, so look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and, and I would just want, I want to narrow in specifically on verse 10. We're going to come back to the first nine verses at the end. But I want to focus in on this particular verse. Verse 10 begins, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the verse begins with a for. Um, in in this, the, the flow of Paul's argument, we should know that Paul is arguing in this, in this chapter, in this book for things. Um, the, the word for indicates because. It indicates a, a purpose. It indicates that, that there's a reason why um, uh, everything else I've already said, verses 1 through 9, and ultimately uh, all of chapter 1 and the first nine verses of chapter 2, there's a reason why I've said everything I've said, and it leads to verse 10. I've, uh, God has done everything that he's done in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 for this end, for, because... He wants to do this in verse 10. And, and, and so what has he talked about in this, in this chapter, in, in this book so far? He's talked about 
the, the fact that God, before the world began, chose us. He set his affection and his love on us. He, he, he deemed that forever and ever and ever, get this, that he was going to delight to shower the immeasurable weight of his grace and his kindness upon us for age upon age upon age. He's declared that God in Jesus, um, for all who will trust in Jesus, all who will hide in Jesus, that God has forgiven their sins. He's forgiven our sins. That he has destined us to bear the image of Jesus. He's, he's explained in some of those beautiful language to be found anywhere in scripture, the sheer immensity of God's kindness, his grace, his glory, his mercy extended to his people. To what end? Why? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. I, I, I want to focus for a minute on this word, workmanship. Workmanship. It is um, the Greek word poema, which um, many, many pastors have taken that and preached long, sometimes beautiful, eloquent sermons about how you are the poem of God. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. Um, but, 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 but I do want you to know that, that the idea here is that you are, um, that, that we have been created as, as this expression, this physical expression of the character of the image of God in the world. What does this mean? What does this go back to? It goes all the way back ultimately to Genesis chapter 1, um, Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, um, we see a God, we, we, we see this God who, who, who first speaks into existence this world and then takes the raw materials of what he's made and causes it to be fruitful, uh, causes it to flourish. And so we have a, a, a sky with birds in it. And he, he, he commands the birds to, to team. I don't know what team means, but it sounds awesome. To, to, to fly around and to, and to flourish and to be multiply and to create more birds. He, he, he creates things like soil and nutrients and seeds and water. And he mixes it together and, and magic happens. Did you know if you take seeds and soil and water in the right proportions... They will grow into grapes. And if you take the grapes in the right proportion and you crush them and you let them rot, they turn into wine. God did that. He, he took not just grapes and made wine. And that was, that was one of the simple steps. Now, what he did that was absolutely amazing is he took Soil. He took these raw materials and, and he cultivated them. He grew them. He put them all together so that they would produce fruit. It actually leads to human flourishing. And that's what we see in all the seven days of creation. This God who does these things. And then in the end, he creates man and woman. And, and, and the text tells us very, very specifically that he creates man and woman in his image. His workmanship, the, the expression in a very unique way of his character, uh, of his beauty, of his glory, of what he's like. Now, if all we have is Genesis chapter 1, what does that mean? It means that we were created with a purpose, not simply to exist, 
to exist in a particular way that demonstrates in the world what God is like. And based on Genesis chapter 1, what do we know that God is like? He's a God that takes things and causes them to multiply, causes them to bear fruit, causes them to flourish. Which the very minimum means that you and I were created that we might work, that our very lives would be spent causing, creating, um, leading things to flourish. I feel like Gary wants me to put on this mic. Nope, he doesn't. Never mind. Um, <laughs> um, and, and, and that, that that's, that's, a, that's a foundational purpose to our existence. That you were created to use your mind, to use your hands, to use your life, to, tra- to take the raw materials that God spoke into existence, into creation, and, and cause them to bear fruit, and to do so in very, very particular ways. And so, um, one of the things that we would say is that, that to bear the image of God, to be made in God's image, it, it means that you have a functional purpose, which we're going to get to in just a minute, um, that, that we just addressed shortly, that, that you exist to, to work. There's a kind of work that you were created to do, to, to cause the materials of creation to bear fruit, to multiply, to lead to flourishing. But, but it also means that, that, that God has hardwired into you ways in which you reflect who he is and what he's like in the world. What do we mean by that? What is that like? Well, there's, there's some of you in this room that are, you, I'll just say, you're kind of weird. You like numbers. That's weird, right? That's fair. I don't mean weird like in a bad way, like you're a bad person. Um, I, I mean, I, I mean that you, just, you you like numbers. You like math. You like seeing how things add up. You, you like the particular details. You, you like um, small things and making sure they're in order. You you, you, lo- you love um, looking at spreadsheets. That's weird. Um, you, you, you love um, balancing books. That's even weirder. Um, you, you you like taking small things like numbers and making sure they're in order. Do you know that this reflects? the nature and the character of a God who loves order, who loves detail. I, I have a couple of good friends who are really good carpenters. I could never be a carpenter. You have to measure things like three times. And, 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 and one of those, um, one of those friends, um, Christian actually works for the church now, uh, but he, he built the table. I don't know if you've seen the table in our conference room. It's amazing. I, it, it's, it's, Mind-boggling to me that someone built that. They could make that. He, he took wood. He, he, ta- he saw a block of wood. I, and I see a block of wood. I just see a block of wood. I don't see potential for anything. I just see a large block of wood. When I see a table, I see a table. I see a block of wood. I see a block of wood. And I don't see how the two connect. Um, um, except that they're sort of the same material. Um, but, but he, he, he and, and, um, and Joel Parker, they, they took this block of wood, um, several blocks of wood, and, and they cut it very, very precisely. And they, and they glued it together. If I glued anything, it, it would break and it would look like it was glued together. Um, that they took it and it looks like the only way you can tell that, that, that it's been glued together is different wood grains and it's just beautiful how it's put together. And, and they stained it and they knew how to fit the thing together perfectly. And it is beautiful and it took so much attention to detail, so much attention um, to, 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 to small nuances of beauty and excellence and craftsmanship. 
And they love that stuff. They love it. Do you know that that reflects a God who who knows every sparrow, who created fields of daffodils, who puts the stars in place by name very, very precisely. Do, do, you, do you know that this, this aspect of who you are, God delights in as it reflects his character in the world? It is beautiful. Some of you, you, you love the stories of people. You love hearing the, the different ways in which um, in God's providence, he's led them through different trials, different struggles, different, different kinds. Of, you love to, to walk people through those things and, and help them to see uh, different aspects of who they are. Um, you, you love to help them make good decisions. You love to offer counsel. Do you know that this reflects a God, the character of a God, the, the image of a God? And who, who loves every aspect of our story. Oh, God has hardwired things in you, things that you delight in, things that you're just good at, things that, um, that, that reflect beautifully, gloriously, who he is in the world. Now, here's the problem with all that. Um, this hasn't necessarily, these desires, these gifts, haven't necessarily done anything good or bad yet. They just are. They are um, gifts. And I use that word very, very intentionally. Gifts that God has given you. Um, Wirings, dispositions, insights that that God has given you that, that you are called to do something with, to wield in particular ways. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. Many of us take those gifts, um, and, and maybe they're not like a, a special gift, like any of the things I just kept talking about. Maybe it's just the fact that you can breathe and talk. Maybe it's the fact that you have arms and you can, you can move um, uh, 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 this cup over here and this cup over here. Um, maybe it's just that you have sight. Those are all gifts. Um, he, he, we, we, we tend to take those gifts and, and right here is where there's this moment. This moment that, that, that we'll, we will face in 30 minutes. That, that a lot of you will face tomorrow morning. That each of us face day in and day out. That this, this way of reflecting God in the world, it, it doesn't reflect his goodness. It doesn't reflect his beauty. It doesn't reflect his glory. Unless it goes in a particular direction. What is that direction? Look back at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the direction, evidently, according to Paul, that these intrinsic qualities, these ways in which God has made us to bear God's image in the world, um, making it as image bearers, um, has to be born, has to go somewhere, and the place that it needs to go is good works. Now, this phrase is notoriously misunderstood. And, and here's why it's notoriously misunderstood. 
because we have tended to divide the room. We're going to go and divide it right here. Um, and the way that we t- tend to divide the world is between the religious and the irreligious, the secular or the sacred and the secular. And, and so good works belongs in the category of the sacred. It, it belongs in the category of the religious. Um, and um, what things that belong in the category of the secular or the irreligious are things like jobs. Um, things like most of what goes into raising children. That just the day in and the day in, day out uh, labor of, 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 and children are very labor intensive, you should know, um, uh, of what it means to raise children, what it means to deal with, um, the, the constant, I mean, constant, amazing ability they have to create a mess. Um, and, 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 and that goes over here. Schooling and education tends to go over here. Um, what goes over here is moral decisions, ethical decisions. What movie will I watch? How much will I drink? Um, will I go to church and pray? Should I pray before a meal, particularly at a public restaurant? That's always a sticky one. Um, uh, what I, what kind of moral decisions, religious decisions that belongs over here? And good works is one of those. Good works is making right moral decisions. Uh, good works is uh, making the decision to, to come to church at the 11 a.m. service knowing that you're going to miss the Denver Broncos pregame, at least a portion of it. Um, I, it, it involves um, not going to see that bad movie. It, it involves uh, making sure that you give money to the poor. And so what we tend to do with a passage of scripture like this one is we say that God has redeemed us, he's rescued us, he's showered grace upon grace upon grace upon us, he's, he's poured out mercy on us so that we won't go see a rated R movie. Glory. He's, he's been kind to me. He's been merciful to me. He's been gracious to me so, so that I will pray at Chipotle. But we divide the world. And we divide the world into weird categories. When all of it belongs together. Um, I used this word a few weeks ago. I want to continue to use it. And so as practice and encouragement to you to use it, I, I would just say it's absolute balderdash. The world isn't divided that way. We worship a God who has made things like mountains and trees. He, he's... He has declared himself in his word to, to be particular ways. So we see um, that, that, that he's expressed in beautiful, compelling, glorious theological ideas. And in the fact that he made apples. And they're crunchy, the good ones. And, and, and they're sweet. And that tells us something about this God and the kind of work that he does in the world. The, the, the history of redemption is not, only, um, is not only the declaration of what God has done for us in Jesus. It is intrinsically placed within the story of a God who created a world and has declared over and over and over again his intention not to abandon that world and get us off this, out of these physical bodies uh, to some non, non-physical spiritual universe we'll sing forever. Uh, but, but rather, and how do you sing without vocal cords? Um, but, but rather, to, to take this world, this creation, and see it flooded with his glory, his beauty, his goodness, his truth. So you were created to bear the image of God. 
And that image bearing has to have a direction. And the direction is good works. And, and here's my attempt at a definition of what good works are. Everywhere we see it, um, that this idea, these, these, this phrase um, in, in the Bible, it, your life wielded, and by your life I mean everything about you, the, the, the gifts that God has given you, the way he's wired you, the desires you have, the strengths you have, even the weaknesses you have, all of your life wielded to glorify God and to love people. I'll put it a different way, maybe a slightly expanded way. Your life wielded with, with the Godward purpose of making much of him, of expressing what he's like, and what you, you do with your hands, what you do with your voice, what you do with your heart, what you do with your mind, and to aim at the flourishing of the world. So, so let's sum it all up. Come back to the question. What is your Christianity for? That God has redeemed you. He's rescued you. He's saved you. He's called you and adopted you as sons and daughters. You didn't have to earn any of that. All you have to do is rest, trust, cling to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's King. He's died on the cross for our sins and he's rose again. He rose again. And in believing that, in trusting that, we're being created again. We're being remade um, as, as, again, as image bearers of God, um, bearing witness to what he's like. And we're to wield all of that for his glory and for the flourishing of people. God is calling us to work. So, so those are two ideas I want to end with two implications that flow out of this text. Here's the first and most basic one. Your work matters. It's a wonderful book written by a man named Tom Nelson called Work Matters. Um, and, 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 but, but, but this is simply the, the idea that what you go do this afternoon, what the job that you're going to go to tomorrow the classroom that you're going to go study in tomorrow. It all has purpose. It all has reason. It actually matters. It's not just a, a thing that's somehow secondary to your relationship with God or your, um, your growth as a man or woman who trusts in Jesus. It actually is intrinsically connected to what it means to love Jesus, what it means to believe the gospel, what it means to be an image bearer of God. Um, and not just in kind of some vague way, in the way that you do your work, do you do your work with excellence? Not only with purpose, but with excellence. So, so let's talk about purpose. I, I, I've been at that, that phase, kind of the nine-month phase, and, and, and the child is sitting in the high chair, and you're doing something over there, and so you take the Cheerio thing, and you pour the Cheerios out on the tray, and usually, they grab the handful, they stir them over their face, and they just eat them. And the mess, is, if it's anywhere, it's here, and it's fine. But then the day comes when they learn the game. You know the game. <laughs> it's an evil, maniacal laugh. <laughs> over and over and over again. And, and, and the first, 
I, I never learned. But it, it, you, you walk in, my wife did. Um, you, you walk in to give them something else and you step on them. And they're there forever. And, and, and so you, you reach that phase um, when, when I, and I say this because I can't think of any more, <laughs> any more mundane, annoying task on earth. It, it's this. And notice I'm taking the Cheerios off the filthy carpet and I'm and putting it back on the tray <laughs> for the baby to eat. <clears throat> this task. And, and right here in this moment, all you see are Cheerios, this child who's learned the worst game on earth, the crushed Cheerio that you stepped on is now deep within the carpet, the dog that for whatever reason will eat anything that gets thrown on the floor except for Cheerios, and the fact that he's not going down for a nap for like three more hours. And, and in that moment, all you see is what's right in front of you. All you see is the immediate. All you see is the, um, in the words of, of Jamie, Jamie Smith, the imminent frame. Oh, but it has so much meaning. That right here in this moment, in this laborious, mundane moment, you bear the image of a God who is patient. You bear the image of a God who is kind. You bear the image of a God who will bear others' sins, even sins so small as throwing Cheerios off a tray. You declare right there in that room to the universe, who God is and what he's like. Oh, it's the worst work in the world. But it is profound and meaningful, and it matters. Um, many of you are in the medical field, and you, you walk into a doctor's office, and, and here's, um, I, I've been there, right? So I took my daughter, she, we got a trampoline, um, and we made it several months um, before she broke her arm, and, uh, and we haven't had one since. And so, um, and we take her in. She's terrified, right? I've tried to give her every explanation possible. Hey, an x-ray doesn't hurt. The doctors don't hurt. They're not going to give you shots in your joints like your brother said. Um, they are uh, going to be nice to you. It is, it is going to be great. We walk in there. We're sitting there. I'm sitting in the chair. I I've never seen this girl this scared in my life. And, and this, um, th this doctor walks in. She sits down with her and, and, and just is kind. Demonstrating a God, and I don't, I don't know if she's Christian or anything about her, but she was kind to my daughter, demonstrating a God who comes to us in our brokenness and is kind. And then she very gently, tenderly diagnosed where the fracture was, what was going on with this girl's arm, and it hurt a little bit. But was a means by which God brought healing, brought restoration to the arm of my little girl. But working well, but working with meaning and purpose, not just to mend a broken arm, but to declare to the universe the character of a God who heals. And, and then excellence. It, not only does your work matter, it, your work 
should be done well. Um, I want to continue with that Dorothy Sayers quote that I began with earlier. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. At church by all means and decent forms of amusement, certainly. But, but what use is all that if in the very center of his life and occupation, he is insulting God with bad carpentry? That no crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter's shop in, in Nazareth. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. Uh, first, your work has, it has purpose. It has meaning. It matters. Um, the, the very work of God in the universe is intrinsically bound up with the work that you do day in and day out. Whether you're a student, you're a stay-at-home mom, or you're a banker, or you're a barista, or you work retail. It matters. And those of you who work retail, you're sitting in this room, you're saying, you have no idea. <laughs> um, I, I do have an idea. I sat at the front of a store all through grad school and said every single person that walked through the door, hello, welcome to the Apple store. What can I do for you? Hello, welcome to the Apple store. What can I do for you? And every time, hey, Brian, you need to smile more. Why? Because right now, right at this doorstep, you demonstrate to the world. Now, nobody at this store told me this. They probably been fired. But you demonstrate to the world the hospitality of a God who cares about these things. Uh, the, the, the kindness, the, 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 the mind-boggling brilliance of a God who invented things that could be turned into things, that could be mined into things, that could be melted into things, that could be put together by crazy, smart, intelligent, aesthetically pleasing people to, to come up with a, a watch that, according to Apple on Thursday, will absolutely save your life. <laughs> and, and even there, that, that cynical edge, right? I don't know if you've seen it. Watch a keynote Apple um, uh, thing where they announce new products sometime and um, put to death cynicism um, because <laughs> it'll change your life. But here, here, here really is something that's beautiful and good. And we should give glory to a God who invented something that could be turned into silicone and wires and electronics. And he created a person who could make it beautiful and work. Work matters. How you work matters. And the last point I want to make, your work must be grounded and rooted in love. There, there are two ways to work. Two. You will either work as a slave or as a son. And and Paul goes to great lengths in this book uh, over and over and over again uh, to talk about the fact that the, the, the work of the gospel, the work that Jesus has done and accomplished for us, it, it's not only the forgiveness of our sins. It, it's not only that, that he um, atones, for, um, uh, atones for what we've done wrong and our rebellion against God. It's not only that he reconciles us to God, um, but that he accomplishes our adoption as sons and daughters. Here's the temptation. T tomorrow, you will go to work to find your meaning and your identity. And some of you will go to jobs that right now don't feel very meaningful. 
And if your whole identity is wrapped up in, hey, how can I find meaning? How can I find identity? And here's, here's your mocha. That's hard. It's admittedly hard. Um, some of you are going to go to work tomorrow in order to find your, and not just your identity, but to find your, your comfort, to find your, find your value. And so you will slave away at jobs um, that, 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 will, that will take as many hours as you will give them um, just to earn a paycheck, um, just so that, that some manager up the line will acknowledge how hard you've worked. You will be driven by this need for success, for honor, for approval. And you will live your life a slave. Or you will find unbelievably rich and beautiful declarations that God in his kindness and his mercy has adopted you. He has loved you. He has chosen you. He has forgiven you. He has washed you. He delights in you as a father, delights over his son. And all the meaning in the world that could ever be found in a job will matter nothing compared to the song of your father over you. All the atoning for your sins that you could ever think you could find in doing good works at your workplace will mean nothing compared to the blood of Jesus spilled on your behalf. And you'll go to work free. Free as a son to bear the image of your father. Free as a daughter. Free to make known in the smallest and most mundane things, or the biggest and most mind-glorious things that, that human beings do with this world, but free. Free to rest in the love of your God. Free to trust that, that no matter what you accomplish, he does not love you more for it. No matter what you fail to do tomorrow, he does not love you less for it. Do you know how that will change your work? It will give meaning to all of it, be it retail or the service industry, or if you're an entrepreneur, crazy entrepreneur, or you work in the business world, or even if you work with spreadsheets, it will suddenly be invested with meaning, with glory, with beauty, not because of your slaving away at it, but because of the free and glorious love of a father who redeems us and rescues us and sends us for good works. Let's pray. So, Father, we... I ask that you would recommission us even now into mundane, boring jobs, into difficult jobs, into th those who have been given just a blast of a job right now, but that you would recommission all of us into those vocations, into those callings, to, to bear witness to who you are and what you're like. You give us the gift of seeing how, how even the smallest of things bear witness to who you are. And God, I pray that we would wield the gifts, the wirings, the strengths, the weaknesses that you've given us, that we'd wield them for your glory and for the good of people around us, that we'd be marked most by love, 
most by a deep, deep, resilient faith that our Father loves us. He's not waiting for us to get it right or to accomplish something or to achieve something. That he sings over us in delight and that we are sent into a myriad of different places and callings to bear witness to his love and his greatness. In your name we pray, amen.